Hey, what's on the hubbub about? It's season four Blabberbrain show. That's right. We're kicking off our fourth season tonight, and we're doing it with Kelly Price on the show. Who's Kelly Price, you say? Oh, producer, writer, actor, and musician, and soon to be father. But we'll find out more about that. Oh, hey, and it's my birthday. Even more time to celebrate. Woohoo! You're not going to want to miss this. Let's do this. Wait, one more. I can't get. Wait. And welcome, hey, it is, come on, <laughs> happy anniversary, it's a Blabberbrain show, fourth anniversary, welcome everybody, I am Michael Kadri, and the Joker there back in his uh, his costume is uh, the big M, Mark Anthony, happy yeah, anniversary got... buddy, yeah, I do another one, yeah, there you go, there we go, <laughs> hey, look, go ahead, play a song. Okay, wait, see, let's see if I get it. Oh man, it's very anticlimactic. I don't hear anything. Little, little deep purple for you. Well, it, that thing was filtering out the sound. I'll have to maybe dub in some music for you. I'll dub in some deep purple for you. But uh, uh, I, have to, I guess I have to switch out over to <laughs> to the music setting. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's uh, it wasn't playing anything, so we'll we'll you fix it. Try it again? as they say. Um, no, What's it's that? A... Nope, Is that picking up? No, that's nah. ah. very anticlimactic. What can I say? You know, that's par for the course here at Blabberbrain Show. Sounds beautiful over here. My dog's <laughs> sure ears are up like this. He has <laughs> no idea what's going. <laughs> that's the problem. It's like a dog whistle. That's why they, the the camera or the, the microphone's not picking it up, but uh, Cooper is. You know what I mean? It's uh. Oh, I could hear it over here. It was smoke on the water. <laughs> okay, well, I'm gonna have to trust you. And uh, like I said, we'll 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 sneak something in there in the uh, in the dubbing of this, and so people can hear something rather than nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we started on this journey back uh, during COVID, uh, just for you know shits and giggles for for the fun of it. And uh, who would have thunk? That'd be starting our fourth season. Wow. Hey, on top of that, too, it is my birthday or close enough. So we got a anniversary slash birthday celebration party going on. And um, so all kinds of celebrating to do. We've got uh, with us today, um, you're, later on, actually, in the interview is going to be a Kelly Price. If you haven't heard of him, I'm sure you've heard of a lot of work that he's done. So we're excited to talk to him about uh, his whole career in uh, the movie industry and actually in the music industry as well. Um, so anyways, uh, you know, there's just a litany of things to to talk about. We haven't, we haven't been on for over a month and uh, so many things to talk about, but um, I, I hate to almost bring it up because it's too easy. Um, but I, <laughs> I wanted to talk about the Motley Crue controversy. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I know. I mean, it's the it, Motley Crue is an easy band to pick on, but it's interesting because it just keeps going on and on and on with this uh, drama between them and Mick Mars. And, um, you know, it's a he said, she said thing. And, you know, fans are like, you know, who are you coming down on? Some people are coming down hard on Mick. Some people are coming down hard on the band. Um, especially Nikki Six, but uh, I don't know where. Where do you side with all of this? I, I think I know, but I want to hear it from you. Well, 
I think I probably would personally, I would probably side, at least from what I've read, and who knows what the actual truth is, but I just have a hard time believing that Mick Mars can't play guitar. And that seems like the biggest beef that they have. I think, I mean, they've already been caught. There's tons of stuff out there you could watch where there's drums going on and Tommy Lee's not playing. So it seems like to me that the whole thing is being, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're sort of like they recorded the concert and they're just sort of <laughs> going through the motions of, of doing it. Maybe every now and then you have been still going, right, you know, with that weird voice of his when it goes up high now. Right. You know, but right. I think that. Now, I now, think you, that now, now your microphone picked up on that. So you're not quite as high as a dog whistle. So anyways, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do. I, I think that there's probably, I think it probably started from the tour. I right. think they just started, you know, differently. I mean, Mick is much older than the other guys. He has a, you know, a really terrible health issue that he's had since he's been a kid. And there's just so much grueling. Can you imagine a guy who could barely move around doing a stadium tour, just getting around off off the stage back and forth? I, I'm sure they right. probably have some golf cart thing and stuff like that to use. And I think the problem is that he's, he, he signed up for a short tour. They added a bunch of dates, you know, he didn't want to do it, but he did it. You see the footage of guy can't guys barely been able to move on stage for years. And I just think that he had enough and they got a bug up their ass over it. And then, you know, Carmine at peace has to kind of, he's the guy that kind of started this, Whole thing. He's putting his, you know, he's an incredible drummer, one of the best rock drummers of all time, you know, up there in his age. I mean, right. you know, in his years, I mean, he's around in the 60s with uh, Vanilla Fudge. Right. And I, he's the guy who sort of, I, if you really think about it, started, you know, talking about how Mick Mars, you know, wasn't really happy towards the end because of the pre-recorded music and doing more shows than they were supposed to do. And then now wanting to do even more shows. And I think he just, he's trying to make himself relevant out there again. I think it just, you know, it started the conversations. I don't think it would have gotten as ugly as it is right now if it wasn't for Carmine. And I think he was probably right. I mean, he should have just kept his mouth shut though. Yeah, but it's sad, but. I think that uh, now, Granted, this is just me being a blowhard, giving my two cents opinion. I believe in in a lot of that uh, as the the determining factor as to what happened. But I think part of it is uh, Motley Crue, for whatever reason, you know, they're they're seeing they're playing more shows. They know they're for whatever reason not just appealing to the uh, the old rockers, but the new demographic. And maybe they just saw Mick as like, you know, we don't need grandpa in a rocking chair standing up on stage, not being able to rock out with us. He looks like yeah. he's 100 years old. We're trying to keep a youthful, at least appearance to what we're doing here. Now, granted, now, to be fair to Mick, he's always looked like a corpse. I mean, even back in the 80s and 90s, he was kind yeah. of corpse-ish. Uh, but, you yeah. know, I, I I think that that has something to do with um, – with their decision and cause you know, bringing John five in, um, you know, great guitar player, probably a little, uh, out of Motley Cruz league, but he's younger, you know, uh, he's not exactly super energetic on stage, but he's far more mobile than, uh, than Mick Mars. 
and obviously it looks a lot younger. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not, but of course they're not going to say that in public. They're not going to come out and say, well, Mick is just too old to go on tour with us. I mean, that's, you know, I think they'd rather just say that uh, they had a falling out or maybe they created a falling out uh, intentionally so that they, you know, he wanted to leave. I don't know. Anyways, it's uh it's a stupid and interesting debate. <laughs> well, there's money involved with it too, because I guess you know Mick still gets money even though he's not touring. I'm sure that rub doesn't go over well. And wasn't it some deal where they were gonna just give him three percent, three and a half percent? And he I guess he refused that, which is great money for not playing. But I think I think I I, w- I would think that even with the tour going on and everything I said. And then you making that thing statement, you're in a stadium tour and you got a guy that, you know, out of no fault of his own could barely move up there. And I'm sure that I'm sure they, you know, thought about, I think that's probably part of it too. And John, thing that cracks me up is when I see the post about how John five sucks from Motley Crue fans. I mean, John five is an amazing <laughs> guitar player and go listen to his bluegrass album. I mean, it's, he's, he's a phenomenal guitar player, whether you like his style or not, or the fact that he, you know, you know, has the makeup and wearing a bow and all the crazy stuff like that. If you don't go in for that, although I think it fits fine with Motley Crue, frankly, right. I think it works, but I mean, the guy's an amazing Amazing guitar player. He could play anything. And I'm sure he's probably has some ideas there. I think there are, seems like they're already recording some music. And I'm sure that helps too, having him there now, some newer ideas and things like that. And I mean, yeah, I, I get the, I get the loyal crew fans, you know, saying, you know, Molly Crew is a Molly Crew without Mick Mars because he had a lot to do with the sound. He's a, very good guitar player. I don't think anybody's going to say they, you know, put him up against Jimi Hendrix, you know, or Eddie Van Halen or anything like that. But the guy, and, and there are people ripping on him too. Guy's a great guitar player. He wasn't about, you know, playing the most fancy things like that. He did some interesting things with the tuning of his guitar. I mean, there's a lot of Motley Crue songs that, you know, the tuning's done a little differently on a guitar and that. And it was about the song, about the energy of the song. And, it's like, yeah, and there's just a lot of people think if unless you're playing like this nonstop that you suck, you know, well, and- I think I think the reason is because he's when he's playing guitar, he's not making the, the rocker guitar face or he's getting down in poses. And and but I think that's what it is. It's, it's just like they want to see someone. I mean, granted, even though Mick doesn't do all that stuff, they're like, if you're going to replace Mick Mars, at least bring in somebody that makes the faces and gets down in a position. Somebody like, you know, George Lynch or something. I don't know that uh, they can at least look like a rocker. Instead, he just kind of sit there and plays nonchalantly and just like flies all over the guitar. I don't know if it has anything to do with it or not. But. Especially when you have poison going on before you, you know, who seems to be a, one of the few bands of that era that continuously seems to sound better. I mean, they, that, but they're, they're all still like really good friends and there's no, no drama on tour and stuff like that. And CC Deville got his shit together. You know what I mean? Um, he was always in the past, uh, probably the, the, the biggest uh, egghead in the bunch, you know, causing problems. But uh they, they look okay. like they're having fun. Uh, Brett Michaels, uh, you know, just steady forward, you know, <laughs> keep it, keep it going. And, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I've, I've never been like, uh, like the, I've been, a, I've been a poison fan, but never like the, like 
the biggest, like I'm like, like a poison freak, right? I'm just, you know, I listen to the music. I think it's good 80s fun uh, rock music. I think they put on a good show. They're a lot of fun. And uh, that's kind of where I come down on it. But um, yeah, I always liked them. You know that I'm a fan of them. I thought always though in the early days, CC Deville was uh, at times not so great of a guitar player. But he's he's come. He's a pretty damn good guitar player now, whether he gets credit for it or not. And they sound better. He's right. you know, and like he he talks about his stories of all the drug issues and you know. I mean, he was you know he's he's lucky to be alive, frankly. You know, and those guys are. They do. They go out there and put a great show on. You would never know that they're an older band. And then you right. have to, then they sound good. They get the crowd going. Then you have, then you have Motley Crue come out and they're the main act. And really, you know, like you, some of the things you said, you don't have the Mick Mars really jumping around, especially you think with a lot of pre-recorded music, that would give you more of an opportunity to put on a show. And he just doesn't, he, he's unable, he's unable to do it. And right. I don't know. I don't really care. I could care less about him. I, I mean, as far as whatever goes on between the band and and Mick, I've never been a huge fan of him. I've seen him a few times. I think I've seen him with you once or twice. I think twice with you. And then I saw them in the early days with opening up for Ozzy Osbourne. I never heard such a bad, a terrible sounding band in my life. You know, that right. was it was they were pretty awful for for a few years. Just good look and de- good decent music, but they just they couldn't do it alive. They were just slop. Mm-hmm. They're just slop. They're turning into slop pre-recorded <laughs> slop, <laughs> right, pre- pre- that, which is even worse. <laughs> people are st- as mu- as many people they may have you know five hundred million people ripping them to shreds right now, but they still have you know. 50,000 people who will buy a ticket and show up to see them in a stadium. No, yeah. I mean, no matter can, what. At least it's one thing you can say about uh, Def Leppard. I mean, that's a band that, that would be prime for using backing tracks and stuff like that, but they never have. I mean, that's why they sound so different live than they do in the studio. Uh, they all handle the vocals. Uh, Joe does the best he can at his age and the range he has. I think he's found a, a really good comfort zone to be able to hit, like sing the songs without, you know, singing like the old version of Joe Elliott. I mean, look, you know, he's, he's, you know, pushing 60 years old now. He's not gonna be able to sing the way he used to. Of course he hasn't been able to do that for 20 some years, but, um, you know, and, but, but they're, they're, they're genuine rock band. They, they do everything live and, um, you know, I, I kind of appreciate that out of them. Yeah. They, I mean, they've always been a, they've always been a solid band. I mean, you got two great guitar players. Right. In exactly. I mean, you know, got two guys that are great, great guitar players. And and it's not like they're going out there and trying to be 16 or 17 years old again. <laughs> you're like, right. you know, back when high and dry came out, you know, but, <laughs> um, you know, but they're, but they're up there. They're still doing their thing. And it, it's still, it's quality, whether you're a leopard fan or not, if you'd ever see them, they've, they're just, they're a great band. And they're a great band. And then you got here's another one. Then you got Molly, then you got Motley Crue as the main act. You get primed up here in the great Def Leopard show, Poison Show. And I don't know if they're using Joan Jet anymore, but I mean, that's gonna be pretty consistent, you know, right. of a of a short half hour show. Right. I mean, I it's it's if you t- remove everybody and just have Motley Crue out there, 
I don't think they sell that many tickets anymore. They're not I really selling the stadium, that's for sure. That, no, I don't even know if they'll fill up the 20,000-seat uh, arena, really. I think it's the other bands yeah. added in that that have a lot to do with it. And it's the Possibly. whole experience because it's all day. Possibly. They're all e afternoon and evening. Well, let's move on. I, I was going to do a blabber boast, but we're running short on time because we got uh, uh, Kelly Price coming up soon. And uh, just wanted to touch base on one more thing that I thought was interesting, an interesting topic. And, you know, this can be a long topic, but it can certainly also be a, a short topic. But it's it's something that I've been pondering because it just every day in my life, I, I come across something like this. Then I wonder, I, I should have been a psychologist or a psychiatrist or something because I've always just been fascinated with like the the human's beings behavior right of, of things and um what causes people now this could be paradoxical too right this could be like something that like contradicts itself or there is no answer to it you know um why what causes people to do things when they know that what they're doing is being made fun of especially on social media and stuff I, I, example, like, you know, the Karens of the, you know, you know what a Karen is. Everybody knows what a Karen is by now. Right. And Karens have been made fun of left and right, up and down. I don't care how old you are. You know what a Karen is. You know that there, it's not a good thing to be called a Karen or to behave like a Karen. So why do people, why are there people out there that still just can't help themselves from being Karens? Like, I don't know what makes person tick. Like they should be thinking to themselves, oh shit, I'm behaving like a Karen right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think some people, when they're set off, they're set off. They don't care about. They don't care what anybody thinks. I think I said some people just can't control themselves. It's just that sort of knee-jerk reaction, and they don't but care once like they get busy, going. They a, don't care. It's being a busybody. It's 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 sticking your nose into something that doesn't pertain to you, because it it personally irks you. Well, you know what? Show some restraint. You know, <laughs> uh, how there's about, a lot should, of Karen's. Like there's a lot of Karens that are men too, you well, know, 100%. maybe even more, maybe even more than women, really. <laughs> yeah. They're just not often as, uh, caught on camera, I guess, uh, you know, so much as that, but like, it's even like the, the whole, this whole like wokeness thing. Right. I, you know, I love, uh, Bill Burr, uh, was, um, uh, you know, making fun of like how it used to be a black thing. And then the white, you know, white woman came in and kind of took it away from the black person because they were, you know, making it like they were sticking up for the black people and stuff. Okay. Maybe you had good intentions at first, but everybody's seen it for what it is. It's kind of like, almost like, like evil. It's, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're trying to be a, a social justice worry, but not for the fact of social justice. You're, you're doing it to be seen or be heard to say, look how great I am. Oh, look, look how uh, involved I am. It, it's narcissistic at, at, at the very least. You know, to to say, um, oh, look at me, look at me. I believe in this. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. But and as much as that is being made fun of, as much as people say this is like harming our country, it's dividing our country. People insist on still going woke. I'm. Mean, it's like, I, I I really want to know what the human psyche is of make someone say like not have a filter to say this is wrong to do this. I know it's wrong to do it, but heck, I'm going to do it anyways. I mean, that that's like that's a little sociopath, though, isn't it? When, when, well, when there's you, a lot of crazy people out there. It's just the years ago you couldn't take your phone and record it. 
right. there was a there wasn't an outlet, and there's also people, or even when you use the term woke, just something they don't like, they call woke too, and use it for anything that's not their opinion or knowing that something that they knows a lot was lied to them, but they still are going to hold on to it as it is. I don't know. There's there's just a lot of fools out there anymore. But I guess there always has been, but there's more there's more ways to for you to show that to the world. But I think that there's some people that now like they because they don't want to be deemed as woke, they 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 don't like that word or they say, oh, that's a pejorative or whatever. But yet you still act act that way, regardless of what you want to call it. I don't care if you call it cornflakes. You know, if you're if you're acting cornflakes and you're 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 just don't. Just don't do it. You know it's bad. And and to the point where, well, actually, some people still wear it as a badge of honor. Yeah, I'm woke or whatever. I don't know. You know, it's, it's it, and not to like, we don't, we don't do politics on this show, but it's like Kamala Harris. She knows she's horrible at giving speeches and her speeches get made fun of constantly because of their, it's like listening to a child, like a, like a sixth grader, right? Who wrote a poem or something like that. But yet, she still keeps giving those same types. Like, hire a better speechwriter or something like that. You're you're the vice president of the United States. Hire a better speechwriter. Why do you still insist on going out there and doing the same speeches that people are making? They probably fun don't of? know what's going on. They don't. People don't look at that stuff. I'm sure like they live in a Motley Crue doesn't look at all the ripping. I'm sure Vince Neil doesn't get read all that stuff. I think there's a point where you just don't. You don't. You, you you're supposed to not read it, and then if you have a small circle of people around you that are patting you on the back and saying, you, you, you said it just right. It's going <laughs> to resonate. I mean, that's just the way and there's a lot of that out there. People just feed into the, to the ego of the person who's, who's saying it. And if you're in some sort of public figure or your mu music, you know, whether it's a musician, a politician, a famous cook on TV or whatever, I just think that a lot of people, they figured out, don't read anything. Don't read anything. And then there's enough people around them to kiss their ass or or just as yeah, goofy as they are. Thing. And maybe think it's just an that ignorant thing. They think, think they have no idea. I don't know. There's just people to keep it's it's like the person who um says there's a lot of people like this and business people, politicians, former politicians that, you know. Don't ever admit you're wrong because it's a sign of weakness, even though right. you're obviously wrong. That, But everybody around you thinks you're just a jackass. So you didn't <laughs> admit it. You know, it makes to me, I see no advantage, but there's people who, who live, who live by that. I've worked for people who live, who've lived by that. I don't know. Well, that's what makes know, me, that's what makes me unique because, you know, I think people are divided. You're either going to think I'm a nice guy or you're going to think I'm a jackass. So I just walk the fence and do what I do. And if you think I'm a jackass, great. If you think I'm a great guy, great. I can't, you know, please everybody. So. <laughs> now there's no way of please. There's no way of pleasing everybody, no matter, no matter who you are. Except for on this show. Read, we read the Bible. Please, There's all kinds of stories in there. We, <laughs> we please everybody. You no know, matter who you are, what you do. We please you know? everybody on Blabberbrain Show. Everybody that watches the show loves Blabberbrain Show and we're we're aim, we aim to please everybody. Um, especially with our with our guests. And like I said, our, our guest coming up here is Kelly Price. Um, and we think you'll find him interesting. And um 
learn a lot more about them. And then, uh, then you can make up your mind whether you like them or, or not. I mean, that's just the way <laughs> things go, right? You, you, you listen to someone and you make a determination and that's what we'll do here. We interview him and we'll let you make up your mind whether you think he's a good guy or not. I think he's a good guy, but, uh, we'll let you figure that out. But anyways, we'll take a short break here and we'll come back with Kelly Price. And welcome back to Blabberbrain Show, our fourth anniversary show. We've got with us first up on year number four, Kelly Price. Let's give him a big round of applause. Yeah. Okay, wait, hold on a second. We, we got to still celebrate here. So let's put the, <laughs> yeah, make it official. Put the hat on. We got the do 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 do. What's that? What's that play that has that? Has the uh, the depressed clown? You would look with her. You'd look good for that too, Mike. The what? The, that one. It's like an opera. It's a clown. It's sad. He has a little oh, yeah, hat like yeah. that and a makeup. Yeah, yeah kinda, there you yeah. go. <laughs> I wish I had something to add to this celebration. All I got is in front of me here is this man. Well, oh wow. Well, yeah. that's, that's it's coming back. I heard. You know what I mean. So you know, uh, membership, baby. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got an old, old, old card of that, too. But someone said it's coming back in some way, shape, or form. That would be kind of cool if they did. But uh, we'll, we'll see We'll see what happens. I think the whole, um, uh, um, was it uh, Captain Marvel kind of sparked that again because that it started off taking place in the 80s back in a blockbuster video and stuff. But um, anyways, well, we'll see what happens. Anyways, so let's get into Kelly Price here. We have uh, your producer, writer, actor, even a musician. And uh, so um, we want our fans who don't know who you are. They probably know a lot of the work that you've done, might not know exactly who you are. So that's why I wanted to have you on the show here. And uh, so we can fill in the gaps here a little bit. Uh, you've got some of your work uh, sitting behind you. But um, so let's, uh, let, let's, let's, before we get into that, let's take it back. Let's take it back to uh, Kelly Price growing up. We'll really do a deep dive here on on uh, who you are. So where where'd you grow up at? I grew up in a little town called Brookville, uh, Long Island, New York. And uh, yeah, I was heavily in influenced by my uncles. Um, I had two uncles, uh, Arthur and Lenny. They were partners and they would uh, babysit my brother and I a hell of a lot. And my uncle was uh, an extra. My uncle Lenny was an extra in movies. And so my first taste of the entertainment business was going to see him as an extra on set of Stuart Little, the first Stuart Little movie. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and, I'll never forget that day. It was at the Bethesda Fountains in Central Park, and they were shooting there, and my brother and I were extras. And my cousin Ty also, uh, I think he was there as well. We were all three of us were extras. Um and we were wearing these, I think it was like these raincoats or pea coats, and it was so hot. It was like July in Central Park, and we were dripping sweat. And I just, you know, I I saw um, my uncle uh, and the other actors, and, and Gina Davis was there, and it was just an incredible thing to see to see a film set. It was it was my right. first kind of time seeing a film set, so. That my uncles were were a big part of bringing us into the creative, and um, 
and different cultures. My uncle was, my uncle Lenny was a black man from Philly. And, uh, you know, and, and so I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot from my great grandfather because I grew up, he lived till he was 99 years old. My, my mm. grandfather, my great grandfather, Jack. And so Jack's story was crazy because he was an immigrant Jew. He came to, he came into Ellis Island when he was 11 years old. Um, escaped the pogroms in uh, in in a little town called Malava, Poland. Mm-hmm. Started speed skating in Brooklyn, New York. Became a, a really well known speed skater in the tri state area. Wow! Couldn't compete in the Olympics because he was a he he had a, he was a double stigma. He was an immigrant Jew, and at the time, you know, I was right. frowned upon. So he couldn't skate in the Olympics because the head of the Olympic Committee was a known anti semite and. And it was tough, man. And I was just, I would hear his stories and I would think, man, if I literally couldn't win an Oscar because of who I was as a person, that's crazy. And I likened it to that. And I said, right. got to do something for him. So I went and when he passed away and I called some cinematographers that I had worked with and, uh, and uh, that's my notification getting me ready for the Nick game that's coming. I'm a diehard Nick fan. But anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so I, I went and I started making this documentary about my great grandfather's life. And people started coming out of the woodworks saying that they were discriminated against in sports as well. And they wanted to tell their stories and athletes like Evander Holyfield and Allison Felix and Greg Luganis and Robbie Rogers and Apollo Ono and all these athletes. And we were lucky to have them because they helped us really get out there to the masses and be able to, to sell our movie and, um, and it ended up releasing and people came to the screening, hired me to produce their other movies and, that was really it, man. So yeah. it was wow. kind of like a fluke thing that got me into the producing side. Um, kind of got swept up with the, with the current, huh? Yeah. But <laughs> I, uh, I've always wanted to produce, I've always wanted to produce movies. I started making movies with my little brother. Must've been 12, 13. We made a Napoleon dynamite two, And we called it Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> we called it Napoleon dynamite dose. I swear to God, it wasn't even two. It was dose. <laughs> you don't is know. that available out, out there for me to watch? <laughs> yeah, I hope not. I hope, but, uh, I'm sure we've got it somewhere. Every once in a while, my brother will send me snippets from from uh, from that movie. Right, <laughs> just cracks you me. Just up. get a laugh out of it, which is great. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We it's crazy that we actually made that movie. Um, right little home video. <laughs> and so that, yeah, I mean, we would, we would do stuff like that and I would produce the movies and, you know, sometimes direct them and sometimes my brother would direct them and we would act in them. And, and, uh, and it was just my, my entire imagine. I had such a crazy imagination. It was all film. It was like, if I was walking home from school, I was hearing a song that I was walking to. And I was like, this is the end of a movie and this is the song that would be playing. It was, that was just how my, my mind worked. So I knew that I was going to be involved in film. It was just a matter of how, and, uh, and it was easy for me to break in as an actor, you know, and, and go on auditions and all that stuff. Cause it was, it was plain and simple to me. I was like, okay, 
I go on some auditions and, uh, and see if I get the role and then I can be on set. But right. how do you as a 13 or 14 year old create your own movie and produce your own movie and, and hire people and all that stuff? I had no idea how to do that. So I'm lucky that I just kind of started making that movie about Jack Brooks, my great grandfather. And, um, and we stuck with it. And that was, that was my way in on the producing side, but on the acting side, I, I broke in with this movie called the click and I played this role called Chris Abley. Um, and it was based on a book series and Tyra Banks produced it and alloy entertainment produced it, who did all the gossip girl, um, and, and all the, the CW shows and uh-huh. stuff like, um, and so that was, uh, that was an interesting way to, cause I was 17 or 18 when I got that role. And so when I would go to the bagel place or I'd go out or, you know, I was at, I remember being at a restaurant with my grandmother and looked over and, and there were these two girls that kept looking at us. And my grandma said, they're, they know who you are. I know they know who you are. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so she walked over to their table and, uh, and she said, you know, my grandson from the click, right? And they said, yeah, we love the movie and whatever. So I would get a lot of stuff like that as a 17, 18 year old kid. Right. And I mean, it's a weird way to grow up, but <laughs> nothing compared to, you know, some of the superstars that are out there, what they deal with, but still just having like a little bit of notoriety as a kid is, uh, is super interesting, you know, and, and so you should have yeah. taken the route of uh, David A.R. White, who was one of the founders of Pure Flix, and he wanted to be a, a founder of a of a production company and and uh, doing films so that he could act in them. <laughs> so if you <laughs> yeah. want to act in film, films, just start your own production company and just act in your own films. So that's one way to do it. That's one way to do it. That's one way to do it. <laughs> You so know? how'd you get into how'd you get into it on the writing side of things? The writing side of things, I took a writing class in high school, and I loved it. It was taught by this guy named Philip Asif, and he his um he was inspired by um, Walt Whitman because mm-hmm. he lived in Huntington, New York, where Walt Whitman you know grew up and lived, and so and Walt Whitman apparently I think he told me was a mover as uh, was a mover and he was a mover. So he was a furniture okay. mover and that was his job, Phil, Phil's job. And so I guess he had a, a relation to, to uh, Walt in, in that way. But a lot of his writing was reminiscent of, of the Walt Whitman stuff. And I, I started um, with poetry in, in that class, but I was never really as good writing poetry as I was with screenplays, because again, getting back to, the imagination as a kid and seeing everything as a movie, it was just when I was in that class, people were writing poetry, but I was writing scripts. I was just like writing scenes and, and stuff like that. And it was different for Phil because he hadn't had that in his class. He didn't know how to write film really, but he was interested in it. And so I would just start writing scenes. And then we would like, I would have other people in the class kind of like, sometimes act them out with me or read the other parts. And, and that's how I started writing scripts. And I hadn't finished a script 
But in 2020, going into 2020, so 2019 going into 2020, um, the COVID, when COVID hit, right? That was 2019 going yeah. into 2020. That's when we started this show, it's 2020. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, there was a, a movie that I had been um, involved with for a bit that I had been developing and I had to step in and take over and we didn't have a script anymore. Like I assembled the team and the, and the script overnight was, just, it's a crazy story, but we lost the script and I had already assembled the team, the, you know, wait, the wait, location. Wait, wait. before you, before you go on lost, meaning you lost it or lost, meaning the guy who wrote it bailed. I was going to pass that same thing. <laughs> that, that, that's exactly it. So we, okay. we had, uh, yeah, yeah. It was just, yeah. That, that, it, it, I would it's, assume you it, have a backup copy. That's all I'm saying, you know? Oh no no we didn't lose that. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like what did someone do with the script? I had it here just a second ago. We can't. I'm make sure this movie. some of our viewers would be thinking that. <laughs> yeah man. No uh, no no. Um, yeah. So we uh, we I had to think of something. I had to think of something, and I. I went and I sat down at my desk that night and I started writing um, something complete. I just, whatever came to me and just went, wrote a new movie within, I'd say two and a half weeks. Within two, within two and a half weeks, I had like 110 pages and then we cut it down. But, um, we were on set within a couple months after that and nice. made that movie. And that movie was called Wolf Mountain. And uh, that movie's coming out on May 9th. Isn't that, uh, well, see, there you go. You just got the, the world premiere announcement. Well, actually, you've been announcing it, but you know, this is the, the Blabberbrain show uh, announcement of uh, Wolf Mountain. So, yeah, May 9th. That's, that's, oh, how cool is that? What a journey, huh? Yeah, I mean, there's just some things that like the the behind the scenes of thing of of stories about movies like that sometimes are, are are just as fascinating as the movie themselves. Sometimes, sometimes more fascinating. But so, you know, um, but that's a that's a great story. So, um, well, now at least you got that experience. So you know, you continue writing. Um, yeah, yeah, it was you, a, go yeah. Go ahead. No, I was, I, was just, I was just gonna say, you know, because you're you're you know, you're in this like kind of groove. It's almost like you get swept up into into being a, a producer and, and an actor and now a writer, and just you kind of gotta just go with the flow, not to use a pun with water and stuff. I don't know why I'm using all this currents and flow. Never mind. You know what I'm talking about. You just uh it's part of what you're doing, it's part of the the film process. A hundred percent. It's just going with the flow and when you have to deal with obstacles like that, it's uh, it's tough in the moment, but it's important because if you can deal with that stuff, I mean, I, I took so much from making my first movie guerrilla style, raising the money on Kickstarter, um, literally having zero money on our first movie. And we had to figure it out, uh, how to cut the right corners and all that. And, and, uh, and so after that, I mean, something like I experienced on Wolf Mountain, which is when I had a crazy deadline to get a script off the ground and um, 
and reach the deadlines. And that's a good, that's a good learning experience to have, you know, All here right. you go two weeks max, everyone's going to be on set. You need to, to come up with an idea, write a script and blah, 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 and just go. And so it was a great exercise for me. I didn't sleep for two weeks and it was during the Christmas Hanukkah break in uh, 2020 going into 2020. And my wife wanted to probably kill me and my uh, <laughs> family didn't see me for a while. But uh, I, I remember one night I was up, I started writing at 6 PM and I swear to God, I finished writing at 6 AM. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then I went to bed. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, you know, my, my, my writing was kind of the same. I, I used to write out of uh, necessity to, to get the ball rolling, you know what I mean? And then it just seemed like the weight was being put on my shoulders to kind of see it all through and finish it and stuff like that. So I, I was, I was kind of like the whole adage, you, you, you know, the old school of the fathers used to teach your kids how to swim by throwing them in the water, you know what I'm saying? And swim, you know what I mean? Uh, that's kind of what, what, what it was, like you said, almost like gorilla style or whatever. But um, so yeah, tell, tell us a little more about uh, Wolf Mountain since that's coming out. So here's your ch chance to uh, just uh, go into a little pitch about it. Yeah, Wolf Mountain. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a horror thriller with Danny Trejo and Tobin Bell and myself and uh, directed by David Lipper. And and uh, and yeah, it's it's a crazy, interesting um, movie. And I think we did a great job uh, on the ground there up at uh, up at the ranch in Santa Clarita. We shoot a lot of our movies up at, at this ranch in Santa Clarita. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's about this this guy that's going through um, going through a lot. He his parents were killed when he was a kid and he's never really dealt with that. And so that memory is starting to come back and haunt his dreams. And he's starting to figure out that maybe like he's trying to figure out who killed his parents and he, he still can't get to the bottom of it. And, uh, and it propels him to go on this journey back to where his parents were killed with his wife and with his brother um, and, uh, and a bunch of others and figure out who killed his parents and uh they go up to wolf mountain and i'll leave the rest up uh i'll leave the <laughs> i'll leave that's a good the tease that's just that's, that's a good tease yeah you don't want to give give everything away so people just have to go uh it's is it in theaters right or is it uh just coming out streaming it's coming out streaming so apple tv amazon um yeah uh everywhere everywhere movies are sold digitally and uh yeah man we're excited for it Sweet. Yeah, like I can't wait to movie. see it. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait. So you're you you you're also, I mean, you're extremely busy, not with just the work that you have done, but with work work you have going on. Um, I wanted to talk specifically, too, about, um, about uh, Mel Gibson's film Bandit. How did you get into that uh, role? Because there's, and this is, I'm sure there's another story behind the fact that there's a list of, of producers on that. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody... Uh, there, there's a backstory for why all those people are, are producers, but how did you get involved with the film? Yeah. So I was good friends with uh, the first producer that had been on that movie and he called me asking for help. And uh, I said, 
I took a look at the material and I said, yeah, no problem, you know? And, um, and then we, we brought the financing that was needed to it. And, uh, yeah. And, and that was, uh, that was a great experience. And I loved the fact that Alan Unger, the director on that movie was so specific about his choices on that, that he didn't want it to be just a run of the mill action movie. Um, he had a vision for this and he really saw that through, um, you know, and I got a call um, after production saying that they need more. They need the 80s tracks that Alan is looking for and they all cost a lot of money and we need more money. And I, I looked into into it and, you know, and, and we brought that for them because, you know, the soundtrack ended up being incredible and it was yeah. really important that we had the proper soundtrack for that movie. Um, and that was all Alan's vision. So. He did an incredible job on the creative there. And uh, we were just thankful to be involved in, and help see his vision uh, come to fruition. Awesome. Now you're also uh, involved working on a, a couple projects with, uh, with Mickey Rourke, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. So, so yeah, a few projects with Mickey. We have him on this movie, Murder at Hollow Creek uh, that I also wrote and produced um, and Pen Penelope Ann Miller's in that, Jason Patrick's in that, Casper Van Dien is in it. Uh, it's a great Good cast. Yeah. cast. And um, so we have him in that one, and uh, we've got him in Hunt Club, which came out on April 4th, and, uh, and that's got Mina Subari in the lead, and Casper Van Dien is also in that one. And that's a horror thriller that we also shot in Mississippi. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so we got him in those two. And then I have him in this movie, Mad Props. That was a really cool documentary that, um, the director Juan Pablo Rianoso asked me to be involved in. And I came on board and I, it's a beautiful documentary about how props inform actors performances. And, um, it's about this guy that tours the, the world looking for the greatest movie props of, of all time. <laughs> and I never really like heard anything about it, but I've always loved movie props. Like me personally, if I'm leaving a set, I always take a souvenir from the set. If I'm back, <laughs> <movie. laughs> right? Always, man. Like, like right here, I have this necklace from Murder at Hollow Creek that I wore in the movie there. Yeah, and, cool. Uh, you know, and and I've got uh, I've got Kelly's Pizza. There, there was a. a, a <laughs> <laughs> there was a, a pizza shop in the movie called Kelly's Pizza or something like that. I, I took the sign, you know, I'm, right. I'm very sentimental with that stuff. So when he sent me that idea for Mad Props, I thought it was really cool and I hadn't really seen anything like it. And so I put Mickey in it, put Lance Henriksen, put Robert England in it. And it's a, oh, yeah. Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we got Mickey in three movies. And what'd you do? Get like, get, get a uh, discount and you do a three for <laughs> on, on Mickey, <laughs> you're like, hey, you know, what are the, if, I, if we just bump it up a little bit, can I get you to commit the three for me? You know what I mean? There you go, yeah. man. There you go. There you go. So Kelly, Kelly's bargains. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly's pizza and Kelly's bargains. <laughs> Kelly's bargains. <laughs> so um, now the um, your uh, I'm sorry the the uh, one Mickey work. Uh, uh, the one that you wrote and uh, produced and uh, Mickey Rourke is in, well, I'm having a, a brain fart. The, um, uh, 
Murder in Hollow Creek. Murder in Hollow Creek. I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, I do. I have this right that you you won a, a award up in Canada uh, for that. Was that the was that the Toronto Film Festival or something? It was the or Montreal. Was just nominated Montreal. Okay, sorry. Yeah, you know, we won. We won best comedy at the best Montreal comedy. Okay, and in film festival. Yeah, yeah. And we well, have that's a great accomplishment. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. It's a testament to everybody involved. The director David Lipper did an incredible job on the movie. Um, kudos to him. Uh, the crew was incredible down in Mississippi. All of our actors on the movie were were really good. The guy who played my brother, Jack Kessie, was phenomenal. Um, Jessica Lord, who played uh, my love interest in it, was incredible. And uh, Tiffany Hines, who played uh, such a fun character, and 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 Casper Van Dien. So the funny thing about Casper in that movie is. He read the material and he called and said, look, I love this for me and I have to tell you something. And so he said, the first line that I read in this movie was May, grandpa takes me down to the lake or, or whatever it was, May 8th, 1969. And his grandfather's birthday was May 8th. And so that role that he played in that movie was supposed to be my grandfather. Oh. So we instantly hit it off. And I said, there's nobody better for this role. Awesome. Um, he just took such a liking to it and, uh, and had this emotional connection to it just because of a date, just because of May 8th. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, That's cool. Right? Yeah. Well, um, and you, you also uh, dabble a little bit in music and singing. So what uh, is that just like a little side passion of yours or what, uh, like how, how far back do, does uh, that inspiration of yours go? Oh, that goes all the way back. That goes all the way back to me uh, playing guitar and singing with my dad, uh, playing uh, Gone with the Wind by Kansas. Or, dust in the Wind. D d dust dust. <laughs> Dust in the Wind by Kansas. Yeah, we were out uh, out east in, in, in New York and uh, we would be out on, on the balcony and we'd be playing uh, Kansas songs and Neil Young songs and Steely Dan songs and all that stuff. And he had uh, in his office, he had all these records from back in the day, all the, the classic rock records, but ones that aren't the most notable records like he had this offbeat really cool i remember listening to the guess who and right. i knew american woman from lenny kravitz but uh, i had never heard the guess who version which i the original loved, yeah you know and so yeah. it was stuff like that that we would uh as a kid you know in in uh, the late 90s early 2000s listening to to this music from the 60s and 70s and and just had such an education for it. So I love, I, I started getting into music back then and started playing the drums first. Uh, had this teacher, Howie Mann. He was an incredible drummer um, and such a nice guy, such a nice guy. Um, and uh, I just loved going there and I loved, I loved learning from him. And I feel like I, I learned a lot about being a musician from Howie. And then, um, and then I started playing guitar. I started singing uh, a little bit of piano, but uh, but yeah, I always loved it. I always loved it. Would play shows at the Bitter End in New York, and uh, 
um, lots of concerts. We opened for some big bands and opened for Ryan Cabrera and a bunch of stuff. And we had a good time. We had a good time doing it. And uh, the Orchard who, who repped our, our music, they've always been good by us. And it's been a nice, it's been good. I, I, I couldn't imagine my life without music. And, and now we, we add a lot of my music to, to our films. And that uh, saves you money by doing that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, well, um, maybe one of these days you'll get to, you know, like portray a musician in a movie or something like that of your viewers, and you can kind of combine everything that you love to do all in one movie or something. But uh, we actually had um, John Elefante was a guest on our show uh, back in our first season, I think it was. He's, I've known John for over 20 years. John was the singer that replaced Steve Walsh in Kansas in the 80s. And um, so he sang quite a few, a handful of hit songs for for Kansas. And uh, so now he's, uh, he goes, he became a Christian artist. And then uh, he does shows now where he plays a, a bulk of like classic rock songs, including a lot of Kansas songs, because he can still hit all those notes even at his age now. But uh, so just a little tie in there with Kansas to this show. So what uh, of everything of everything you 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 do um what's your what's your passion? Is it the whole entire enchilada or is it just producing? Is it writing? Is it acting? Like where where do you like what touches your your heart the most of all the things you do? Yeah, man. I it's a great question. I it's so tough, but at the end of the day, I I've always had my, my grandfather, and my great grandfather were very business oriented and, and just geniuses in business geniuses. Um, and I learned a lot from them a lot. And so I couldn't imagine my life just with the creative and not having the business too. Cause I, I honestly, I love the business element of, of, uh, the entertainment uh, business. I, you know, and, and, um, and a lot of producers don't like on the financing end. Um, uh, that's, I just had a knack for financing film and being involved in, in creating the financing on films and, and, uh, and yeah, so I, I love that side of it and I love acting. I mean, I, I'm a recurring right now on rap shit on HBO max, uh, ice ratio, right. And just going there and, and being on set there, it's so much fun. It's just, right. you know, it's just being on set. And that's why I could never not act because I just, the feeling when I'm on set and I'm in front of camera is just, yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. it. It's, it fulfills a certain part of me and uh, I, I wouldn't be able to, to not have that. So it's, it's special. And then, you know, and producing movies and having it all come together is, is really special. You know, it's, it's special in its own way. It's a different kind of special. It's, you know, when I go on set and I'm just acting, I don't, it's, it's crazy now to go on set and just act and not have to worry about is everything running smoothly or the actor saying the right lines? Uh, are we going to make the day and all that stuff that you have to think right. about here? producing and wearing multiple hats, but, um, but yeah, I, I couldn't really pick one over the other just fulfills me in, in different ways. And, and when it comes to writing too, yeah, it's like 
creating the entire thing. It's, it's starting the entire, thing, like you did, Michael, on, on our movie uh, Mulligans. It's like, you know, if you didn't sit down and write that one day, then, you know, and then it never would have happened. And that's a, it's such a cool thing to think about. So. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 you know, like you said before, it's, you know, I just have this thing too. where like, I, and I think this, this comes from being an actor. I think the same for you. Um, and I, you know, I do some directing and it's what it is. It's if you're in that position and you know what a movie is supposed to look like or the, the acting lines are supposed, how they're supposed to be delivered and stuff like that. I think you have a clear vision of how it's supposed to be written rather than if, if all you do is write, you know, I think there's a lot of writers that it takes them several, several, several scripts before they come into their own and and like a rhythm to get to be a really good writer for screenplays and stuff like that because they don't have the other side of things. They but they know how to write really well. So, but writing a movie is different than being a, a, a really good writer, like you said. You talk about you know poetry or whatever, but you know writing a screenplay is completely different. And if you can visualize that as an actor delivering those lines, I think you got a leg up on trying to get to the finished product quicker than if someone who's just you know even a new writer coming out of the gate. Yes, I hundred percent agree, hundred percent. So. So yeah. um, it, it, uh, I'm going to hesitate to do this, but I, I'm just going to put an alert out there right now. I'm, I'm going to talk about something. There's a spoiler alert. So if you don't want to know anything about the movie Hi Hyperions, tune out right now and then you can come back in a few minutes or <laughs> fast forward through the video. So because you got to start with with uh, with uh, an iconic actor in Carrie Elwes, uh in the Hyperions, which is seen on um on daily wire and uh you got to play a villain so um and it was a a, a, a twist of a villain right yeah. it's because it's almost like a like a surprise reveal yes. villain yes. so what what was that like for you um like because i know it's something completely different but when you saw the script and uh you saw your part and stuff like that what was what was your thoughts on the whole thing my thought, my initial thought was like, wow, this is super cool character. And the scene just went on forever. Right. I was like, <laughs> scene I've ever seen in my life. I, <laughs> I, I have to memorize all these lines. Holy crap. How am I going to put this thing on tape? Right, you know, right. this, was, this was crazy. Um, got a good it, monologue in there. Oh, it was great material. It was great right. material. But uh, it was like a 10 page scene. Right. I was like, holy crap. And yeah, because it, it's like, like you said, it, it's a crazy reveal that you're not right. expecting. So the reason the scene was that long is because, you know, we, we needed all that time to explain why I turned and, and this and that. Right. So, so yeah, it was, it was, it was cool to work opposite Carrie. Carrie's a really nice, genuine person. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so that, that was super cool to work opposite him. Alfonso McCauley was in that movie. Who's just hilarious. He's like the next Eddie Murphy. He's so, <laughs> he's the man. And we, we had so much fun making these, these videos like on set, you know, we would be uh, you know, making these TikTok. <laughs> 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 he's, definitely, 
we were wearing all these seventies clothes and we were just uh, <laughs> like thinking we were seventies rockers, you know, <laughs> down the hallway, like we were so cool in the seventies, get up and stuff. Right. Uh, we, had a lot, we had a lot of fun. And Penelope in awesome. that too. She was great. It's a, it's a very imaginative uh, movie. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's quirky. You know, uh, but so I like quirky st- things. So if you if you if you like quirky, um, if you like silly, if you like movies that make you think a little bit, and uh, kind of if you want to see something very different, and like Carrie always, I think I think he had to have had a blast playing that character because it was it was just a character as always. He was a he was a a character in the movie, uh, so it had to be a blast. So. You know, check out the Hyperions. Uh, it's it's only on uh, Daily Wire, though, as far as I know. I don't think you can get it anywhere else. So you have to borrow someone's login if you know somebody with a with an account there or something. So um, now, this might be a tougher question to answer, but because uh, it's actually a two part. The the second one's going to be easier, but the first part is of all the projects that you've had to work on right now, what was like the most memorable one or the one that you had the most fun on or like you, the one that just stands out the most, you're like, this project right here was the best because of X, Y, or Z. Yeah, that's, that's so tough. That's so tough. But um, I always go back to our first movie, which was on thin ice, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, about my great grandfather. And I always go back to that because it was the reason why I got started on the side of the business and it's always be a very special movie to me because of that, but also because it was about my family and uh, yeah, it's, it was just, it's uh, cl- very close to my heart and making that movie. I mean, like I said, it was guerrilla style and uh, I was with my grandfather. We, we shot him at Ellis Island um, finding his father's plaque, finding Jack Brooks's plaque and uh, and that was a crazy experience to go to Ellis Island with my grandfather and find my great grandfather's name on the walls there. That uh, was a crazy, cool experience. And to do it and document it on a on film and have that movie come out, and then have all these other athletes come on board like Evander Holyfield, and just to be in something so much bigger than what we were trying to do is uh, is special. So. Looking back that I would have to say that I, I just don't think that that's beatable, but I've had great. I mean, Wolf Mountain was very, very special. I mean, it's a horror slasher, so it's not, you know, it's <laughs> nothing crazy, right? right uh, yeah. Not making the, the next Gone with the Wind, but it, it was, uh, it was a, a cool experience for me. And I learned a lot on it and, and how to meet deadlines and certain stuff like that. So had a great time on that. And every film I do is a different experience. Um, you know, on every single one. Bandit was a great experience for me. Uh, got really close with Alan. Got really close with, with uh, Josh Dumel through Alan and and making another movie with them. So, yeah. yeah. You make relationships, you know, that way too. You know what I mean? So, um, the, yeah, yeah. and now, and also on Thin Ice, did you, were you the narrator of that? I I was. Okay, I thought so. Sounded like you. So, anyways, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, no. you weren't trying to disguise it by by lowering your voice or anything like that, or trying to sound like James Earl Jones or something. So, <laughs> but uh, 
anyway, so the, the second part of my question is, um, who would be the like ultimate people for you to work with either on the production side or act like, you know, uh, like a cast wise, like you said, if I was making a movie, I would love to work with fill in the blank. And then I'm not, you have to exclude me. I, you know, cause you can't play favorites on the show. So. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro would be my number one to work with for sure. Just grew up watching him in everything from The Godfather to Raging Bull to Taxi, everything. And I just thought he was such an incredible actor at uh, you know at a young age. And just being from New York myself, I just related to to him and his aura and uh and everything and my my grandfather also like we would sit and we would watch his movies like over and over and over um goodfellas and all the new york movies because we were new york guys so right. i would say robert de niro for sure for sure for sure for sure we have uh, to make it happen though i mean you know because you're in a position where you can make that happen you know to some extent you can't force him, <laughs> you can't force him to say yes but you can have a have a have a role in mind for him and offer him the job. You can't force him to say yes. But you can't you know, threaten Robert De Niro. Well, can't you, you guys find a spot for Mike's movie <laughs> to put him in. Yeah, yeah well, we, well, we could get we we could have a spot for Robert De Niro, but um, I don't know that uh, we have the budget for Robert De Niro right now. <laughs> That'd be another thing. <laughs> so you know who you want and who you can afford is often uh, many times the two different things. <laughs> anyways so what uh what else is uh next for you what's uh next on the docket that uh you're in the middle of or we're looking forward to working on next up right away is uh, a really cool movie that uh i got involved in um uh decent uh i'd say like six months ago and we're we're starting prep uh it's this movie called to helen back and uh, it's with Emil Hirsch and Ashley Green and um, great cast coming together on that. And uh, we're, we're getting on the ground in Mississippi pretty soon for that one. So we're, we're really excited about about that movie. And uh, it's an action action thriller. So. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, that's what's next. And then after that, I've got this movie with Josh Dumel and Alan Unger um, called Cowboy Junkies. And we're super stoked about that movie. And uh, that's a lot of fun. It's a Western. So, uh, right. yeah, yeah. So, and what yeah, about uh, you're, you're involved with, are you, yeah, Pledge Trip with uh, Rob Schneider? Are you still uh, working with that or no? Yeah, yeah. So, so we've got Pledge Trip, um, which is JT Austin and uh, Rob Schneider. Yeah, great, great little movie there uh, with a great cast and Ashley Benson came on board. And, and um, yeah, it's, it's a great, project uh like a, a modern day animal house um and it's got some road trippy american pie elements to it so it's a lot of fun and when i read that one i was like yeah these are the movies that i grew up watching the american pies the road trips um and and that kind of material which i i've always gravitated towards i love comedy we did this yeah. movie called reboot camp it was one of the first movies that i produced um and that was uh, with David also, right? That was with David. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was with David also. Um, Evo Raza directed it. Um, and it was a great, a great team, great project. Um, yeah, and so that, that was a mockumentary and uh, very similar to Best in Show and movies like that. So we had Ed Begley Jr. in it. We had uh, David Koechner in it. Ja Rule was hilarious in that movie. Um, and it was about two brothers that, that started a fake self-help group and documented the process. And I played uh, the younger brother and David Lipper played the older brother. And that was, that was a lot of fun. So, you know, started making comedies like that one. But even before that, I, I've been acting in comedy since I was pretty young, like the Naked Brothers Band on Nickelodeon and uh, opposite Nat Wolf and Alex Wolf and uh, just been doing comedy for a while. So I, I love making comedies, man. It's it's a lot of fun. You know, it, it could be hard at times, but uh, but yeah, man. Well, we, we didn't even think about this. You, you should have even ran this up the flagpole. You, I mean, you should probably be playing Buzz in Mulligans. You know, it'd be a good role for you. I can see you playing a former, you know, burnout or whatever. You know, oh, thanks, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I would, you know? uh, I would love to play Buzz. Actually, I would love to play Buzz. Well, yeah. we'll have to, we'll have to talk about that. I think that would be a good role for you. And that way there, we can slip you into the movie there, but, uh, you know, we got to get this thing off the ground. That's why I didn't want to talk too much about it. We're still in the process of, uh, of trying to get this thing rolling and God willing, it'll, it'll be soon because I think it's going to be a fun movie to make, um, especially with some of the people that, uh, that we want to have in the movie. So I think it's going to be a blast to make. So anyways, uh, people yeah. want to follow you on, on social media. We'll, we'll put it up on the screen where, where, where do you want them to find you? Yeah, please. Uh, at Kelly Price on Instagram, uh, K-E-L-I-P-R-I-C-E. Um, yeah. And then Price Productions, you know, priceproductionsltd.com. Um, and then on Instagram, we're Price Production at Price Productions LTD. Great. We'll put that up there so people know how to uh, follow you and uh, see your amazing career just blossom uh I mean, it's already in full swing so i mean it's uh you know you're you're doing a hell of a job i think then uh it's it's got to be a lot of fun being you right now so because you're doing you're doing <laughs> what you love to do on a daily basis you know you're not part-time in it you're you're all in this is what you're doing and you're going to be a dad coming up soon you forgot to tease that you're going to be a, a, a dad soon so when's when's the due date there due date's june 19th June 9th. Uh, June 9th. We'll be looking forward to that too. So if you follow him on Instagram, I'm sure he'll be posting a lot of pictures. So, and uh, you know, it's going to be a, a, a boy, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. You guys had found out. Yeah. So um, sorry, yeah. I didn't want to give too many things away, but uh, if you follow him on Instagram, you'll, you'll get to see all this stuff anyways. So, all right, Mark, you have anything you, you need to add? You've been way too talkative this whole interview. Well, so, buddy, I apologize. You guys, good, you guys had a good flow going there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Kelly, this is something I think a lot of people like myself who, you know, we're not involved in 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 the movie process. We're, you know, I'm just somebody who goes to the theaters or rents a movie like anybody else. Is there anybody that you've worked with that, you know, kind of has a reputation to fans about being this, like, maybe a not such a nice person or being very difficult, but they're actually one of the nicest people you'd ever meet? That's that's interesting. Um, I don't know if I've worked with anybody in particular that's really had uh, a reputation in that sense. But uh, yeah, I, I was surprised when I, I met certain actors that they were actually, you know, 
as nice as they were and, and, you know, to be a huge star and be as nice as you are, like Josh Dumel is the nicest guy, you know, and you would never think him being on top of the world right now that he would be such a nice guy, but that's just the case. And, uh, you know, in there are several people, I, I, I don't know if I could think of any like Perry Reeves, for instance, in Entourage, maybe her character doesn't come off as such <laughs> such a nice person, but she actually is the sweetest person in the world. So Mrs. Ari on, 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 on Entourage, uh, but she, she's the nicest person in the world and, and great actress, great to work with. So, uh, so yeah, sometimes we'll get tripped up if somebody's played a character on a show for a long time and, they weren't very nice on the show or, or certain movies and franchises and stuff like that, but you end up meeting them in person and you're completely wrong. So I, I've experienced that quite a bit. I think that just goes to show how good of an actor they are. If they are that, that way, if you get that opinion from them that oh, they got to be a jerk, you know what I mean? Because they play a jerk really well. You know what I mean? And they're like, nobody can act that good where they're playing that kind of a jerk, you know, and then they're, you mean they're all nice. You're like, Oh, I guess you are that good. So <laughs> <laughs> my bad. That's exactly, that's exactly. Well, yeah, man. Well, hey, this has uh, been a blast. We really appreciate you coming on here. I hope uh, people learned a lot about you and uh, they follow your career as uh, you continue to make uh, some great movies. And uh, hopefully we can kind of make it happen to have you play like a rock star or something in a in a movie you know maybe i'll write a script for you i'll write a script you can play a rock star in a movie and we'll make that dream come true too so you're an incredible writer so please i would love that <laughs> we'll talk about buzz too don't think i'm gonna forget about that no one. no way you in my head you're you're gonna be buzz so we'll, we'll definitely try to make that happen so thank all right you, well, thank you hey, so, so much for having me on uh, there he goes. We'll, we'll go out there. This is uh, season four coming to a close, or episode one coming to a close. There you go. Woohoo! And a little do to do. All right. So uh, <laughs> for uh, for the big M sitting over there, I'm Michael Cadre. Thank you, Kelly Price, for being on the show, and we'll catch you next time on Blabberbrain Show. Thank you for having me, guys. Appreciate you both. 